This is the Lead Speakers Podcast with Scott Lloyd. In this podcast, you'll hear engaging conversations with everyday leaders and discover their motivations, desires, and passions. Most importantly, hear practical applications and advice for becoming the leader that you've always wanted to be. Welcome to Lead Speakers. If you were to ask me five years ago, what was the most important characteristic of, of a leader? I might say something like communication, or I might say something like charisma, or I might say something like expertise in a particular field. But if you were to ask me today, what is the most important characteristic of a leader? I would say empathy, the ability to empathize with those that you lead. And there is a difference, a slight difference, but a very important distinction between sympathy and empathy. So sympathy, the the best way I can describe it is, is by illustrating it. Sympathy is if I'm walking down the hall of my organization and I, I walk past the office of one of my employees and they are crying, then sympathy might mean that I kind of stick my head in the, in the door and I say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? I just want to make sure that you're all right. So I take a moment and I sympathize. But empathy means that I stop. I walk into the door, I sit down, and I cancel everything for the afternoon, and I say, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to listen to you, and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to pray for you, and we're not going to move forward. Nothing is going to happen until I know that you're all right. And so that is the difference between sympathy and empathy. And I'm convinced that especially moving forward in the 21st century, especially if you look at the way the world is shaping up around us and all the issues that are abounding, um, as leaders, the most important characteristic that we can cultivate is that of empathy. And so as we go through these five most important people in your life as a leader, we're going to look at um, uh, different ideas about them and how you can identify them, but never forget that at the end of this influence, these are real people that have real problems, and that as a, as a leader, the most important thing you can do is learn how to cultivate empathy. One of my weaknesses as a leader uh, historically has been that, you know, I don't necessarily have the gift of mercy. So if people come to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, my go-to line was stop. Don't do that anymore. (laughs) But that's not very helpful, right? If you have a problem, Um, people want to be heard. They, 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 They want to feel that you are feeling what they're feeling. So learn how to cultivate those feelings of empathy. And well, how do you do that? Well, I'll just tell you in the past, Five years, the best way that I've learned how to cultivate empathy is by exercising it. Uh, When people tell me that they have a problem trying to slow down and trying, instead of trying to fix everything, because by nature I'm a fixer and I want to solve the problem, slow down, listen. Listen first before you say anything. Listen to the point where you can repeat back to them to their satisfaction, what they have just said to you. 
before you offer any advice, before you offer any types of solution, start out with something like this. So what I hear you saying is this, and then repeat it. And when they're nodding their head and saying, yes, that is exactly what I'm going through. That is exactly what I'm feeling. Then, and only then, are you qualified to offer a solution or to move forward. Now, I know that's, that's easier said than done. And if you're a leader, especially if you're one of these people that is a problem solver or a fixer, I, I tend to be that way. Our go-to is, well, we've got to keep this train moving. We've got to solve this problem. We've got to fix this. But I promise you, if you'll slow down and listen, um, it will make a huge difference in the ministry that you lead. It'll make a huge difference in your marriage. Um, it'll make a huge difference in your family. Learn to slow down, listen, and empathize with the person that you're leading before you move forward. Another way to cultivate this is to read, um, to read fiction. You know, I, I as a leader, up until about five years ago, I would never pick up a storybook or a novel. It was always I'm reading something so I can be in, improve myself. So I can, I can make, you know, uh, so I can apply these principles to my ministry or to my job. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. But the way that you develop empathy is by reading literature, specifically read great literature. So find out what, what, if, if there's a, if there's an English professor or an English teacher, even a, someone, a high school English or literature, find out what they're reading and what they recommend that you read. And, and, and read it. So I'll give you an example. Every summer, um, one of my colleagues here, the English professor, he has a summer book club. And the reason that I participate is, is, is first of all, because I'll read things that I never read by joining this. Um, and I found that it develops empathy. So last night, uh, for the past month, we've been reading The Catcher in the Rye, um, something that I would have never read had it not been part of this group. And it's a weird story about this kid who's just kind of bumming around New York. He's really self-obsessed. And, but at the end, there's a profound revelation, right? And he comes to terms with, with a lot of feelings. And, and as you talk this out and think it out, it helps you develop those feelings of empathy. So as a leader, you're probably thinking, wow, this isn't what I signed up for. I didn't know I was going to have to read these books, especially these sappy storybooks. But I'm telling you, folks, it will make a difference in your life. Okay, so develop empathy. Work on developing empathy because I'm convinced now more than ever, especially if you look at the way the world is, that it is the most important characteristic in a leader. So in our remaining time, we're going to go through these five most important uh, people in the life of a leader. I'm going to give you some descriptions. Um, and then we'll save a few minutes for some questions. And then we'll pick up next week, uh, continuing to explore um, these, uh, these ideas and flesh them out. So champions, children, coaches, critics, cheerleaders. First of all, champions. Champions are the people that are following you, that they are the go-getters. They are extraordinary individuals. They're probably the most talented. They're probably the most charismatic in, in, in temperament and in personality. 
These are the people that everyone likes, that everyone wants to be around. They are people magnets. And beyond that, they accomplish a great deal. So they bring a lot of life and they bring a lot of talent to the organization or to the team. And so forgive the personal reference. It's, it's the world in which I live right now. Um, in my debate team, I have, I have young people that I identify very quickly as these are people that are champions. Um, Hayden and Hannah will remember from my experience at Louisiana College, um, the first guy that signed up to be a part of my uh, debate team was the former um, quarterback for the, the football team. It was Division Three. They had a coaching change, and he was dissatisfied with the direction of the team. And so he walks into my office one day, uh, big smile on his face, uh, African-American young man, and he says, I want to compete, and I want to win. And I smile because that's exactly the kind of person that I'm looking for. And so Chris Lee was my first recruit. And to date, even though I, I have coached a lot of talented debaters, um, he is still the only person that I've coached that has won on every single level uh, of, 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 of competition. And so he identified himself very quickly as a champion. And now, Louisiana College was a very different place than where I'm at now at Oklahoma Baptist University. These kids at, at the university here, uh, Louisiana College was sort of like a blue-collar type school. Um, and, you know, I, I, could, I could get um, my fake in on those kids. But these kids here at OBU, they're scary smart, right? They're smarter than I am. Um, they're smarter than most people. And um, they're doing wonderful, wonderful things. And so what I do is I try to try to look and I try to identify the people that were like Chris that are, even though they don't necessarily fit the mold in every aspect of personality and temperament. And that's one thing that you'll discover as a leader, right? Is that every person is different, but there are always going to be those people that are champion caliber people. And these are the people that you're going to identify quickly and you're going to put the most effort um, and pour the most resources in. Why? Because you want a return on your investment um, in, uh, in trading stocks, in playing the stock market. There's this financial term, right? ROI, return on investment. So as a leader, your resources are limited. Your energy is limited. So invest in the champions. Identify them as quickly as possible and then turn them loose because they are going to make you look good. They are going to shine. And so you want to put all of your efforts or the majority of your efforts into these particular people. And we'll talk more about this next time, but, but those are the champions. Next are the children, okay? And so these can be, in, in the context of a family, obviously I have, I have two children. I consider Hannah uh, my daughter as well. Very proud of my children. Um, and all of them I consider champions as well. But the fact that these are my biological kids, right? These are my, th this is my flesh and blood. 
And so I, I know that Hayden and Hannah and Aaron are going to do wonderful things. And the thing about children is they're going to outlive you. And so for, from the perspective of just being a leader as a parent, you want to spend time with your children. You want to invest in your children because you understand that your children are the guardians of your legacy. Children are the guardians of your legacy. And as much as I love champions, right, as much as I love Chris Lee, as much as I love Carson Cronkey, as much as I love Mitch Sadler, they're champions on my debate team. They're not my children. And so children are those biological and sometimes not biological people that God brings into your life or into your organization that you're going to say, hey, you're family. You're part of this because you're passing a part of yourself on to them. And they, by nature of being children, they're going to outlive you. And so whatever it is that God has planted in your heart as a leader, whatever that innovation or that invention or that organization that you lead or that team that you've invested in, you want to pass it forward to your kids. And again, they might be biological, they may not be. And every organization, every team, every ministry, you want to try to identify those that are going to guard the legacy, that are going to guard the DNA of your team, of your business, and that are going to be able to pass it forward. So your children are the ones that you want representing you to the rest of the world. Your children are those that you want representing your business to your customers long term. Your champions are going to blow everybody away. Your champions are going to impress everybody. But your children are the ones that are going to do the day in, day out grunt work of saying, hey, we're protecting this and we're moving this forward. And again, in coming sessions, we'll flesh this out more. Um, and then there are the coaches. Who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your business? Who are the people in your organization that you look to for instruction, that you look to to be a mentor in your life, to give you direction, um, and to provide for you training, and to sometimes provide for you that tough love that, you know, corrects you. And so in my role as a coach, um, sometimes I have to have a meeting with my team and uh, it's not a pleasant meeting. And sometimes those meetings are planned and sometimes they just kind of blow up and they happen, um, you know, spontaneously and organically. And we don't like them, but they are necessary. Let me give you an example. Um, this past year, um, the debate team, we, we set some goals to, to win some tournament championships. So at Louisiana College, I had, I had the champion, right? I had one champion, but the rest of the team, they were overachievers, didn't accomplish a whole lot. Here, I've got a lot of champions, I've got, but, but what we started doing was we're going to set 
individual goals so that we can get to the end of the year and win a national championship. So the first thing we've got to do is win some tournament champion championships. And so we go to Abilene Christian University and uh, we, we do great. We blow it out of the water. Uh, we bring home the first place trophy, but there was a tension in the air the entire weekend. I could tell everybody was on edge, everybody was upset, and it was just, you could feel it, right? And sometimes in those intense situations, maybe in your business you're trying to achieve a sales goal, or you're trying to get that new market opened up, or maybe on the praise team you're trying to learn that new song, you're trying to get everything ready for the new ministry launch, and you feel the tension in the air. And so I knew, even though we had a great weekend, that something was about to blow. I didn't know where and I didn't know when, but it happened. At all places, it happened at Taco Casa. Um, we go to Taco Casa, which, by the way, is the worst Mexican restaurant ever, maybe. Hopefully you don't. But, I mean, it, it was just bad, right? But it's, it's fast, um, it's quick, and you're feeding college kids. So we go in there, we get our food, we're sitting around, and people are talking. Debaters always talk. They're nonstop. And so I walk over and I congratulate the team, right? And I'm standing up and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm so proud of you. You know, we did a great job. And these trophies are testament to, um, to our accomplishments. And so I'm bragging on the team. And one of the, one of the smart Alex, right, to my right, says, who won those trophies? It's like, well, we did. And then he says, no, who won those trophies? Meaning that he had won the trophies and that others had won the trophies, but I, as their beloved coach, had nothing to do with it. They had accomplished this in spite of me, apparently. And I said, Josh, why don't you tell me how you feel? And he did. And then other people got involved. And, I mean, people are yelling and screaming at one another, and all of these Wonderful folks at Taco Casa are looking at us like these folks have lost their ever-loving mind. Kids are getting up and leaving and going to the van because they don't want to be a part of this. And it's just happening, right? And I'm like, okay, Taco Casa it is. And we have a Jesus come to meeting right there in Taco Casa. But as a coach, I understood that as much as I hate this, as embarrassed as I am, this is necessary. And what happened as a result of that blow up at Taco Casa, we get back to campus and I tell everybody, all right, team-wide meeting, we're going we're gonna to hash this out. We have another one, right? Because we had, it, it was more than just one meeting. But after that meeting, there was a cohesion that came apart uh, because of that in the team because they were able to air their grievances, because they were able to feel like they were being heard. And as a coach, I was able to say, that conflict gave me the ability to, to actually be a coach and to say the things that needed to be said in that moment. And so you need those kinds of people in your life. And in that instance, I had student leaders who were stepping up and who were saying things that needed to be said because they were fulfilling that role as a coach. And also I was getting advice from other people and other leaders in my life. And a lot of times these leaders may not be uh, visible in your life. Sometimes they might come to you via books, or sometimes they might come to you via podcast. They might come to you via YouTube video. 
that you see and you listen and you're able to glean principles and you're able to make a difference in those that you're leading. But look for the coaches and understand that the role of a coach is to sometimes say the hard things and facilitate the difficult conversations that are necessary to move the team or to move the organization forward. Now, Taco Casa, we always famously say on the team, right? Remember Taco Casa. Taco Casa serves as an illustration of the next most important person in the life of a leader, and that's a critic, right? So I had my critics on the team. They were lined up. They were ready to tear into me and to tear me a new one, and they did. Um, and, and because I try to cultivate that kind of culture where they can speak their mind, um, you know, these are college students, and they're telling me exactly what they feel and what they believe about me as a coach. And sometimes that's hard to, it's hard to hear, right, as a leader. But I understand that the role of a critic is hugely important in my life if I'm going to be a better leader. And so I allow this to go on. I allow critics to speak their mind because I look for the truth in what they're saying. Now, in coming sessions, we'll revisit this and we'll talk about which critics do you listen to and which critics you, you, you disallow, you don't listen to, because not everyone is qualified to give you criticism. And we'll talk about what qualifies a critic in your life. But I'll say this now. A critic, a qualified critic, is someone that you respect and someone who praises the organization, praises your leadership publicly, and that gives them the right to criticize you privately. Those that praise publicly earn the right to criticize privately. And sometimes people get that reversed. But if you if, if there's a critic in your life and they're always just tearing you down, criticizing you, and they're doing it in a very public fashion, don't give them the time of day. But if this is someone that you know, someone that you love, someone that is a part of the organization, and typically they are someone who is for the organization moving forward, and they come to you privately, and they offer criticism, please, as a leader, listen to that. Please, as a leader, pay attention to what they are saying. And critics may be among the most important people in the organization. And we'll talk more about that next time. And then finally, cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. If you're going to have critics, and believe me, if you're leading anything, if you're a dog catcher, you're going to have critics. If you're attempting to do anything, if you're attempting to, to accomplish anything in this world, there's going to be critics. And so you've got to balance that out with people that are encouragers, people that are cheering you on, people are saying, hey, we can do this, people that are saying, I'm in your corner, I'm here for you. You've got to find those cheerleaders in your life because you're going to be discouraged as a leader. There are going to be low moments. There are going to be lonely times as a leader. So you've got to have those people that are speaking life into your leadership and into your organization. And it's very important you identify who those people are. 
And we're going to look at the 12 disciples next week, and we're going, to, we're going to identify some of these people as a biblical foundation. I'm going to share some stories, some examples from my own life. But here's your assignment for next week. Look at your organization. Look at your ministry. Look at your business, whatever it is that you lead or whatever it is you aspire to lead, and see if you can identify some of these roles in your leadership. Who is your champion? Who is your child? Who is your coach? Who is your critic? Who is your cheerleader? And sometimes these hats can be worn by multiple people. So multiple hats, one person wearing lots of them. Or you might have one person that you know who that person is. And I'm not going to ask you to share this, but I kind of want you to go through this exercise because I think it's important that you apply this to your life and that you understand that these people are there. And when you identify them, it's sort of like a problem, right? We can't change what we don't acknowledge and neither can we promote what we don't identify. We cannot cultivate what we do not identify. So if you want more champions, if you want more children, if you want more coaches, nobody wants more critics, but if you want more cheerleaders, then you've got to identify these people and you've got to know who they are so that you can do more of that moving forward. So let me end with this and then we'll um, open it up for some questions. There's this quote that I love. And uh, it's by uh, Wayne Cadero. And I, I, I don't remember the resource where I picked, it, picked this up, but it's, it's a great quote. And he says, one of the ways that God sifts us as ministry leaders or insert business organization leaders is by asking us to play on an uneven field. We might serve under a poor supervisor. We might volunteer our time under a rigid pastor. We might play second fiddle to a terrible violinist. I love that language. Second fiddle to a terrible violinist. But if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves in that kind of place, he says we're in good company because the true test of leadership is not how you fare under favorable conditions, it's how you respond when everything goes wrong. So as a leader, your greatest test is not how you're doing when everything's going right. And if you've been in leadership for any amount of time, you know that it's very rare does everything go right, if at all. Most of the time, the reason you're in a leadership position is because you are expected to have answers and you're expected to solve problems as they present themselves. But know that those are the greatest tests of your leadership. Not when everything is going great, but when everything is going wrong. And certainly we find ourselves in a world situation with the pandemic, um, with, with the disruption of our economy, with the disruption of our lives. Um, 2020 is not a year that anybody is going to look back on and say, that was my favorite year. Um, but as leaders, 
it may turn out to be our greatest year because I believe that as leaders, we're going to emerge from this year with new skill sets, new abilities. Um, our temperaments have been tested. Our character has been tested. And we're going to emerge from this, hopefully, in a much, much better place. This has been the Lead Speakers Podcast with Scott Lloyd. For more information, check out scottlloyd.com and share this content with a leader in your life today. Lead Speakers. Lead. Speak. Persuade.